Hallelujah. How many of you have got your Bibles here today? Just wave your Bibles at me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Word of God. Well, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just so thankful that we can, um, we can live in this day. Uh, for this is the day you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we thank you for our country. We thank you because we live in a country where there's freedom of worship, where we can gather together and celebrate Jesus and worship you freely. Lord, we thank you for that. Um, Lord, we thank you, O God, for the word of God, for your word is bread and it's life to us. We open our hearts to the word today. We ask that the spirit of God will inspire us today. He will give us insight. Uh, he'll make the word fresh and relevant to us at our place of need. Lord, I step into your grace for faith, your grace that makes preaching easy. And here in the word, I've got a sweet delight. Lord, inspire me by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about the word of God, uh, having the word of God productive in our lives. And uh, this has been a series and um, we're, we're still really laying the foundation uh, because the Bible says that if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? So it's very important that we lay the right foundation for our Christian walk because your foundation affects everything, everything you do, everything you do. Um, you can't spend too much on your foundation, um, especially if you're planning to build high and build strong. You need to make sure your foundation is strong. Um, I, I meet Christians all the time. I deal with Christians all the time. And, um, you know, there are some people that you meet that have been Christians for many years, maybe 20 years or so. And in the way they relate to other Christians, in the way they commune with God and the, the whole picture they have, you can easily tell that their foundation is not right. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not enough just saying, no, oh, this is wrong and that's, that's wrong. You need to go down to the foundation uh, because your foundation really colors everything about your life. So we're doing foundational stuff this morning, and um, I'm very excited about where we're going with this, um, but we have to take our time to build the right foundation. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, the, the tempter was tempting Jesus, and um, in Matthew chapter 4, he said to Jesus, he said, if you are the Son of God, um, command this stone to become bread. He said, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus responded by saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we understand from that statement, um, Jesus was actually quoting a verse from the Old Testament. But from that statement, we receive revelation that just as you and I need physical nourishment to um, sustain our physical lives, we need the word of God in order to sustain our spiritual lives. Because man is two parts spiritual and one part physical. You are a spirit being, you have a soul, but you also have a body. Your physical part is your physical body. And your physical body needs physical food in order to be nourished. In the same manner, your spiritual man needs spiritual food, which is the word of God, in order to be strong. You know, you can always tell whether somebody is well fed or not physically. You can always tell. Because whatever you eat will ultimately show up. I mean, if somebody is anorexic, you can always tell, can't you? Um, I was ta talking to Akin uh, a few weeks ago. Akin, for those of you who don't know, is a saxophonist here. And Akin has been here for a long time. He's actually um, one of our founding members. We call him one of the senior boys, right next to uh, Daniel in front. And um, I was looking at some pictures of Aki from a few years ago when we were over at um, the jazz sessions. And between then and now, Aki has had a lot of food. 
And I said to Aki recently, you're looking good, brother. You're bursting on every side. So you can always tell what somebody has been feeding on or the lack of it by the way they look physically. But you know we're spiritual beings. And apart from us as spiritual beings, there are other spiritual entities. God is spirit, isn't he? Angels are spirits. Demons are spirits. They're fallen angels as well. They're all spiritual beings and they look at us spiritually. So they can always tell what you are feeding on spiritually by how you look in the spirit. All right, Some of us are well fed in the spirit. Some of us are anorexic in the spirit. So when the devil comes, even though we might be be trying to say the right words, he can see what you're actually made of. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. In order to be strong, in order to live your life with spiritual power, man must live on the word of God. The word of God must be your consumption. It must go beyond something you read. It must go beyond something that informs you. It must be something that you consume. Now we're going to talk about how to consume the word. But I said last week that the word word comes from the Greek. Uh, There are two Greek words that are translated word in the New Testament. There's the Greek word logos and then there's the Greek word rhema. Um, In this verse, the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, every rhema, every rhema, every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's incumbent upon us to understand what the logos is and what the rhema is. What is the word of God? Because we're responsible for what we consume. We need to make sure that what we're consuming is the word. And we we looked at the fact last week that there are three senses in which the word logos is used in the word. But it is used in this sense as the divine revelation of God. For it to be called the word of God, it must be the divine revelation of God. Or it must be the revealed will of God. Or it must be the psalm of all God's what? All God's utterances. All God has said. For it to be the word of God, it must be a sum of all what he has said. So in order to know what the word of God is on the matter, you need to know the sum of all what he has said about that particular matter. And then we started looking at some characteristics of the word of God. We looked at Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And from that we understand that for it to be the word of God, it must be balanced. Everyone say balanced. The revelation of God will always bring balance into your life. It will never put you out of balance. It is always relevant to your life. And then we saw also that for it to be the word of God, it must be full of grace and truth. Because the Bible says Jesus revealed the word. And when the word became flesh, he was full of grace and truth. So it is not the word of God until it's full, unless it's full of grace. Unless it's full of truth. And then we went on to John 17 where Jesus said, God sanctify them. Through your truth, your word is truth. And we deduce from there that the word of God is reality. It is the reality of all realities. It is absolute truth. It is something on which you can depend. The truth of the word will always change the facts of your life to conform to truth. You know, the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, while we don't look, we don't focus on the things that are seen, but on the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. They are subject to change. But there are things that are not seen. Those are eternal. And part of the eternal things is the word of God. It is truth. It is incontrovertible. 
And Jesus said, God is going to sanctify you through the truth. Through the reality of the word of God. You know, there's some people that are busy trying to sanctify themselves. You know, it takes more than your willpower to get sanctified. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul, praying by the inspiration of the Spirit, prayed. He said, the very God of peace will sanctify you completely. And I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guess how God is going to sanctify you? He's going to sanctify you through the word. Amen. He's going to sanctify you morally. He's going to sanctify you spiritually. He's going to sanctify you mentally and physically through what you do with the word of truth. It is through the word that we are sanctified. Now, we can't talk about the word without talking about scripture. Because as I said a few minutes ago, when we're talking about the word of God, or the logos of God, it is the body of revealed truth. And it is the sum of what God has said. So the word of God, or the scriptures, is the written logos. Everyone say the scriptures are the written logos. Turn your Bibles this morning as we begin this to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 16. It says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every Good work. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The word all is the Greek word pas, which means each and every scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And from this, the theologians have gotten two doctrines called the verbal and plenary inspiration of the scriptures. Each scripture, each word, each and every verse of scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Every verse of scripture is inspired by God. And plenary speaks to the whole scripture. The whole body of truth has come to us by the inspiration of God. Now the word inspiration is an important word that you and I need to understand. Because the word inspiration in the Greek is theopanustos. Theo speaks about God. Panustos speaks about breathed. The scriptures are God-breathed. Everyone say God-breathed. But when we talk about inspiration, we're not saying God-breathed into the scriptures. We're saying God-breathed out the scriptures. Every verse of scripture is breathed out by God. It has come by the inspiration of God. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says that we should know this. That no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation. The scriptures didn't come by somebody just deciding that, you know what, I'm going to feel like writing today. Yeah? It didn't come by private interpretation. The Bible says, for the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures have come By inspiration. Each and every scripture is inspired by God. Each and every scripture has been breathed out by God. It says it didn't come by the will of man. Holy men spoke. They spoke but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
The word moved was a word that was used for a ship that was carried along by the wind. So the metaphor here that Peter uses is one of the prophets raising their sails. And the Holy Spirit filled them and he carried their craft along in the direction that he wished. So that means that if the scripture is God breathing out... That means that it is inerrant, it is without error, but beyond that, it is infallible. Because if it is God speaking out to you and I, God cannot make mistakes, can he? So really, when we talk about the scriptures, we're talking about the holy writings that were given by the inspiration of God. You know, if I was to breathe out on you today, you would experience some of my saliva probably, but more importantly you would experience my breath, wouldn't you? So if the Bible or the scriptures are given by the inspiration of God, and inspiration means that God has breathed it out, that means that God's very life and spirit is in the scriptures, isn't it? Yeah? The very life of God, the very spirit of God is in the scriptures. But more importantly, it means that the scriptures and the Bible is a spiritual book. It is not a physical book. You know, a physical book, all you need to do with a physical book is sit down, read it and study it and you will understand it. Right? But a spiritual book um, requires a different approach and a different level of comprehension. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, The Apostle Paul says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That means that they they need to be spiritually appraised, spiritually evaluated in order to get the import of it because the Bible is a spiritual book. Everyone say spiritual book. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, that's a scripture I love quoting all the time. The Apostle Paul said, we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as touching ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God, who has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills. Everyone say the letter kills. It says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the Spirit of God alone can give life to the soul. That means that when we approach the Scriptures, we should recognize that it will take more than our physical comprehension to unlock the secret of the Scriptures. It will take the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Because the life of God is in the Word of God. But thank God I don't have to go to Jerusalem to get the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that God has given us His Spirit to freely reveal to us the things that have been given to us by God. But it's a spiritual book. It needs to be unlocked. Because the letter of the law will kill. You know, like I said last week, people have used the scriptures to justify all kinds of things. The letter of the law will kill. But it is a spirit that gives life. You put a knife in the hand of a murderer. And what will he do? He will destroy life. But you put a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon and he will bring healing. 
So if the Bible says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword, the purpose of the two-edged sword is to bring life. It's to bring healing. The reason why the word divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart, is so that he goes to the root of the problem and he brings healing. So if you and I are approaching the Logos, we need to know that this Logos, if the scriptures are the written Logos, we need to know that these scriptures require more than our minds to properly interpret it and properly interpret it to our hearts. It requires the involvement of the Holy Spirit for he, it is a spiritual book that needs to be unlocked by a spiritual being. As a matter of fact, Origen, one of the early fathers of the church, made this statement. He said, the word of God is like an almond. He said, the, you know, the almond has three parts to it. He said, the fibrous exterior of the almond is a type of the letter of the word that kills. You know, some people only go as far as the, the fibrous bit. All right? They see the letter that kills. So they use the word to destroy. And that's why the Pharisees, when they saw this woman caught in the very act of adultery, they said, let's kill her. That is the just thing to do. But how many of you know that God does not deal with us on the basis of justice, but on the basis of mercy? They didn't understand the scriptures, nor the power of God. So there's the external, there's the fibrous bit, which is the letter that kills. Origen said that the internal bit is the hard shell, which he called the ethical and moral code of scripture. He said, the word of God goes beyond being a rule book on how to live. Thank God for the Ten Commandments. But it's beyond a rule book on how to live. He said, you need to go beyond the fibrous exterior and the letter that kills to the, to sweet, the sweet kernel on the inside, which is the actual meaning of the text. Wow. So that means that when you and I approach the scriptures as the word of God, we need to recognize that we need the involvement of the Holy Spirit. We need to come with prayer. We need to recognize that the word of God needs to be properly interpreted. To get the right meaning that was intended by the Spirit of God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. The scriptures need to be correctly interpreted in order for it to be accurately the word of God to us. Because the word of God to us is always balanced. The word of God to us is always relevant. The word of God to us is always full of grace and truth. Anyone here this morning? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. The apostle Paul writes, he said, study. Or be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing. Everyone say rightly dividing. He says rightly dividing the word of truth. If the word of God doesn't need to be interpreted, why would he say rightly divide? You know, if there's a right division of the word of God, there's a wrong division, isn't there? He said rightly dividing... The word of truth. You know, the word rightly divided in the Greek is orthothemno. Ortho is the word where we get the English word orthopedic. Orthopedic means to set something straight. Are you with me? You don't go to the orthopedic surgeon with a broken leg and he breaks it some more and separates the limbs. He sets it straight, doesn't he? So when he says rightly dividing, he's saying... He's saying make a straight cut through the word of God. 
Make a straight cut. Interpret it correctly in the light of the logos. Make a straight cut. Because unfortunately there are people, whether through ignorance or through manipulation, twist the word of God. He says, make a straight cut through the word of God. First Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babies, desire the what? Sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word sincere means the pure milk. Everyone say pure milk. Well, if there's pure milk, that means that there's what? Impure milk. Alright? There is pure milk. And it takes pure milk to grow. If you and I are going to be focused on what we're going to ingest as spiritual beings. To give our spiritual man strength. In order to be able to have spiritual power. We need to make sure that what we're ingesting is pure. Everybody here this morning. And there is a difference between pure milk and impure milk. And then there are different grades of purity, aren't there? You know, I remember when, um, when we gave birth to uh, Kiona. I said when we gave birth. <laughs> For those who missed that, because I was there. For every push, I pushed along. Don't you tell me I didn't give birth, because I felt like I did. You know, when we gave birth to Kiona and, you know, after, a, you know, everyone says that, you know, um, breast milk is the best um, source of nourishment for a child. And, um, and, you know, Nita started breastfeeding and after a while it got a bit hard, you know. And she said, you know, maybe we ought to supplement this with um, formula. <laughs> you know, so as a dutiful husband, you know, I went to the shops. And I said, you know, this is my daughter. Give me the most expensive formula you've got. And they said, you know, gold label. Cow and gate. So I said, is that the most? He said, yeah, give me. So I took the gold label, cow and gate home. And, you know, she made the formula. And you know what? Within a couple of days of Kiona getting the formula, she began to, she began to cough. She had all kinds of, you know, catar and mucus everywhere. I mean, this was expensive stuff. Just because it's expensive doesn't mean it's pure. Are you with me this morning? And she was spitting and all of a sudden my healthy baby. I mean, all, all of a sudden became unhealthy. And then I, we, we, then I deduced through investigation that formula comes from cows. <laughs> Revelation, right? And that it is mucus forming. Okay? And you know, even though it was expensive, it was impure. And you know, what you are eating will come out. Then we moved to a soy-based formula, which was a lot better. But you know, after a while, she had to go back to the right stuff. The Bible says, as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In order to grow healthy, in order to work with spiritual energy on this earth, you need pure milk. Even Satan quotes the scriptures. So just because somebody has arranged some scriptures in a particular order doesn't mean it's the word of God. He says, make a straight cut through the word. Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain. And he said, Jesus, you know, the Bible says it is written. You know, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And he said, Jesus, jump from this mountain and God will deliver you because the Bible says. You know, Satan quotes the word. But Jesus said, it is written. He didn't cut straight through the word. He didn't interpret the word correctly. It was scripture, but it wasn't the word of God, was it? 
It was scripture, but it wasn't the word of God. Because the word of God is the body of revealed truth. It is something healthy and balanced. He said, away with you, Satan. Do not tempt the Lord your God. So as we approach the Bible as the word of God, and as we recognize that it's a spiritual book, And we recognize that it needs to be correctly interpreted in order to receive the benefit of it. There are certain things we must learn. Number one, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every scripture is God breathed. Every verse of scripture is accurate. But just because it's given by inspiration does not mean that every scripture is inspired. Now what do I mean by that? You know, we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And he also wrote the book of Job. Now when Moses was writing under the inspiration of God, historical events he recorded accurately. The life of Job he recorded accurately. It came by inspiration. God used him infallibly. But does it mean that everything that he recorded about Job and everything Job said itself was correct? Just because he accurately recorded it does not mean that everything Job actually said was right. Does that make sense? So all scripture has been given by inspiration, but not every scripture is divinely inspired. And it takes the right cut of the word. The right cut of the word. And you can rightly divide the word because you have the Holy Spirit and the Bible says you know all things. If you invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into your time of study, he will teach you the word. But you need to know what came by inspiration and what is divinely inspired. Now let me expand on that for a little bit. You know, the book of Job is essentially made up of um, a record of the experiences of Job. Job's observations, his wife's observations, and the opinions of some of his friends, basically. Now, at the end of the book, God reveals himself. And in Job 42, God comes on the scene for the first time in the book of Job. And he essentially says, who is this that speaks without knowledge? And Job responded to God. Look at um, Job 42, verse 3. Job responded to God. He said, God, forgive me. Lord, I uttered what I didn't know. What I said was based on what I'd heard. But now uh, I'd heard of you after the hearing of your ear. But now I see you face to face. So Job effectively apologized. In verse 3, it's, um, God said, who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? And then Job said, therefore have I uttered what I understood not. Yeah? Do you see that? He said, I I uttered what I didn't understand. Things that were too wonderful for me, I commented on. Now, that means that he's admitting that some of the things he said earlier were not accurate. Is that correct? And then the very next verse, God speaks to Job's friends and says to Job's friends, I am very angry with you. But if my servant, he said, because you have said things about me that are not right. But if my servant Job prays for you, I will forgive you. That means that some of the things recorded in the book of Job that his friend said were not actually accurate. They were accurately recorded, but they're not the word of God. So that means that in order to cut through the word of God, it must be 
correctly interpreted. And the very first thing you must do is you must interpret it in the context of the chapter in which it is written. You know, something, one thing that my, um, my, uh, my Bible teacher taught me when I was in Bible school. He was, he was just making a general comment about the writings of Paul. And he said, you know, it's a little bit like somebody writes five or ten different letters to different people. And then we take a sentence from one letter and add it to a sentence from another letter and another letter to somebody else. And then we form a doctrine out of it. Now that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Now it's okay to refer to different letters, but make sure your interpretation of that statement is within the context of the letter that was written. Does that make sense? So it makes sense that if you are going to interpret a verse of scripture, at least interpret it in the context of the chapter in which it was written. If we want to cut through the word of God correctly. And we're talking about, re- we're talking about healthy milk. Right? Let me give you an example. You know, when it comes to marriage and marriage relationship. You know, I've listened to a lot of sermons on marriage. And it's amazing to me, most sermons on marriage start with Ephesians 5.22. And for those of you who don't know Ephesians 5.22, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and is savior of the whole body. So wives ought to submit to their husbands in everything. How many of you know that's the word of God? That's scripture, isn't it? And you know, if you want to have a healthy marriage, as a woman, the Bible says, you must submit to your husband in everything. Praise God. No, don't struggle with that. Don't struggle with that. I mean, if you want a healthy marriage, it says, wives, submit to your husband, doesn't it? I mean, sorry, read the open, you showed me your Bible earlier, right? That means I prefer him, put him ahead. I mean, put his interest before your own. Are you with me? That is, that is healthy. But what, is, what I find f- funny or strange is that a lot of times we don't read the verse before that. At least we'll read the verse, I mean, to properly interpret it, You read the verse before it, right? And interpret it in the context. Now, what does the verse before that say? It says, submit to one another in the fear of God. Now, now, what does one another mean? If we are approaching the word and um, we, we are rightly dividing the word, for us to understand our roles in marriage, we should read the whole word, right? Now, it says that, we should submit to one another in the fear of God. That means that in a proper Christian marriage, the husband will submit to the wife and the wife will submit to the husband. Now, if as a man you are struggling with that, then it means that your strength is small in that area. You need to meditate on that for a bit. Are you with me? When you read the whole chapter, you know when the Bible says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, I hope you know that the verses, the verse divisions and the chapter divisions are not inspired, right? In the original letter, he didn't say verse 1, verse 16. 
in the original letter which was written in the Greek, um, it was a letter. How many of you write verses in your letters? But for the sake of reference and the sake of understanding, the and interpreters put verses there so you and I can go straight to a passage. But it was a letter. So he didn't say verse 16 and then go off to have a coffee and then come to the next verse. He said, submit to one another in the fear of God. And then he begins to talk about how this submission should work. He said, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And then he talked about how husbands should submit to their wives. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her. That means that man's submission to his wife is going to involve death. Oh, someone else to say hallelujah. But thank God Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. Never to die again. But if we're going to get this thing right. Yes, there are things you see in scripture that we struggle with. But, but yet let's struggle with them, with the Lord, right? The Lord said, come, let us reason together. He didn't say just reason among yourselves. Let me show you my counsel. And you know, we have to get to the word and struggle with certain things. And then, and then come to align ourselves with the Lord. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. Because when we continue to read, he now talks about how um, children should submit to their parents. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says that, doesn't it? It was the same letter. You know, children submit to their parents by obeying their parents. He said, parents, submit to your children by not provoking them to wrath. You know, there's some things that we do to our children. And we cause them to grit their teeth and just wait until they turn 18. No, it's true. I remember doing that. I remember when I was young and my, my dad, I mean, he was, he was a lovely guy. He is a lovely guy. But, you know, he was very, he was a tough guy. You know, very uh, a disciplinarian. And I remember how my sisters, I have three sisters. And, you know, my dad used to beat out of anger. Sometimes. You know? And I remember as a young boy, and I was the man of the house. But I was so young at the time. And I can remember standing outside my dad's, my dad's room when I heard my sisters being beaten and I was gritting my teeth and I was waiting until I was stronger. That's not a good thing. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Every time you put your children's interests before your own, you are submitting to them, aren't you? So this submits to one another in the fear of God. That is the logos. That is the revealed truth. It means that in every relationship, we're submitting to one another. Later on in the same chapter, it talks about servants um, being in submission to their employers. So it's not just women that submit. We all submit. In the fear of God. But you see, that is, that is cutting straight through the word of God, isn't it? So at least we need to interpret a verse in the context of the whole chapter. We need to interpret a verse in the context of the whole book. I talked about the book of Job earlier. Do you know in Job chapter 1 verse 21. When all the calamities hit Job. In verse 21 of chapter 1. Job made this statement. He said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that a verse of scripture? It is, isn't it? But then you and I know that at the end of the book, Job made the statement, God, I uttered things I didn't understand. Forgive me. 
So if we read chapter 1 verse 21 in the context of what he said at the end, at the very least we need to ask, it will cause us to ask ourselves the question, was this statement he made earlier true? Or was it one of the things he was apologizing for? And yet you go to every funeral and they say, well, the Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It says, you and I are responsible for cutting a straight line through the word. And we are the ones that are responsible for it. We determine what we eat. Before you consume it, before you allow it to affect your spiritual makeup, make sure that you are caught in a straight line through the word of God. I mean, funny thing, a few months ago, I was talking to somebody, and he was talking about circumcision. I mean, you all know what circumcision is, right? That was a bit quiet in the house. You know, in the book of Genesis, God said to Abraham as a sign of the covenant, that you need to circumcise every male in the house. And God took circumcision very seriously. On the eighth day, every man, every boy, whether bought or sold or in the house or outside, had to be circumcised. It was a sign of the covenant. When Moses refused to circumcise his child because his wife would not let him, the Lord got very angry with Moses and almost killed him. Very serious stuff. But then in the New Testament... We, we don't have to circumcise as a sign of the covenant, do we? The Bible says that everything that happened in the Old Testament was a shadow of things to come. As a matter of fact, in the book of Galatians chapter 6 verse 15, the Bible says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts or avails for anything. All that matters is the new creation. So if you are circumcising your boy, it is no longer because you have to do it, otherwise you will not be in the the covenant of God. It is because of health reasons and you feel it's clean. Are are you with me? But it is not, you know, but, but then people will get confused if you are not interpreting the word in the context of the dispensation in which it was written. So we have to rightly cut the word of God. Another principle of uh, interpretation, which is also very important, is the fact that the word of God is always full of grace and truth. So it must be in context, it must be full of grace and truth. If somebody is teaching you something that does not have grace in it, then you need to investigate further because you haven't seen the truth until you have seen the grace and truth in the word. And lastly, the word of God must always pass the love test. Everyone say the love test. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 7, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love does not know God for God is love. So if somebody is teaching you something that does not have the love of God in it, then it is not the word of God, is it? Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the grace? Where is the mercy? Where is the balance? Where is the correct interpretation? Before I consume this thing, it must have those ingredients. If it doesn't have it, then I can't eat it. Now this is important. It is important. Because you and I are responsible for our own spiritual health. I say to people, beware of people who come to you and say, I have a word of God for you. Beware of that. 
All right, I'm always very weary about people who have a word but don't know the word. They say, hey, I've got a word. Yeah, thank God for the word of the Lord, for the word of the Spirit. Thank God for prophetic people. But how many of you know that in our dispensation, the role of prophets now is different from the role of prophets in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, there are only three kinds of people that had the Spirit of God. The prophet, the priest, and the king. Nobody else had the Spirit. But thank God, you and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. No prophet can come and tell me anything. I'm not meant to be led by prophets. I'm meant to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you have anoint an anointing in you and you know all things. You don't have need that any man should teach you anything. But the anointing which abides, abides on the inside of you will teach you. If anybody comes to you with a word of the Lord, ask yourself, what am I feeling on the inside? What am I feeling on the inside? Go seek God. If you don't have, if you don't have a conviction about that on the inside, put it on a shelf. Put it on a shelf. Let God confirm His word. Don't follow the word of any prophet unless it confirms something that God is speaking to you in your heart. Unless it's confirmed by the word of God. Unless it's confirmed by the witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. God is smart enough to speak to you first. Before he speaks to anybody concerning you. He says you need to cut a straight cut. A straight line through the word of God. The logos of truth. The sum of all God's utterances. Now because it's a spiritual book. There is an attitude with which you and I must approach the word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? You know, like I said at the beginning, I'm so excited about where we're going. But we can't build this fantastic building without setting the right foundation. Yeah, we, we need to dig into the foundation. This is foundational stuff. That we need to have established. So that it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you are. You understand the God that you are dealing with. You understand how to approach him. You are not carried and tossed to and fro. By every wind of doctrine. 20 years time. You are not still dealing with the same foundational stuff. Because we have taken the time. To build the right foundation. On which you can set the development of your spiritual life. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2 verse 13. Oh, the Apostle Paul is applauding the Thessalonians here. Oh, he said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Everyone say welcomed it. It says you welcomed it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively... Works in you who believe. So what he's saying here is that the attitude which you receive the word will determine its effect in your life. It's saying that when these guys, the Thessalonians, heard the word, they received it as the word of God. And as a result of that, it's working effectively. The word effectively comes from the Greek word energia, which speaks of divine energy. As a matter of fact, in the Amplified, if you put up the Amplified translation of that, it talks about the supernatural power, the superhuman power in those who adhere to the truth. Do you see that up there? 
It says because you welcome the word as the word of God, therefore, it, the power of God is unleashed in your life. You know, there's some people that go to the word to confirm what they already believe. You know, if I was standing here this morning as I am preaching the word of God to you, and all of a sudden, I fell under the power, and Jesus appeared on the pulpit. And you saw Jesus as revealed in the book of Revelation. His hair white as snow. His hair white as snow. The glory of God emanating from his presence. And he says, you know, don't worry everyone. I've sent my boy to sleep. I'm going to preach this morning. Now, now, how would you respond? Like Jesus actually preached the sermon today. I mean, how receptive would you be? I mean, how would you, your whole posture, spirit, soul, and body would be different, wouldn't it? Oh, come on, admit it. I mean, all, everybody, all the devices will be off. iPad recording, you know, iPod record. I mean, every, every, everyone will be recording, because everyone will be on tender hooks, waiting for the next thing he's going to say. Now, the Bible says, Paul said that the Thessalonians, they received it as the word of God. So, when, when they were speaking, the guys were open to them like it was God speaking. They didn't receive it like it was the, the product of some intellectuals, um, you know, manifestation or something. No, they received it as the word of God and therefore the power of the word was effective in their lives. You know, I've heard of a good friend who, who knows um, evangelists like Reinhard Bonke and um, T.L. Osborne. And it's amazing that these people go all over the world preaching the gospel. They go to some countries and there are all these signs and wonders. And the guy asked them that, but why is it that you go all over the world, you have, I mean, blind eyes open. You have limbs growing out. I mean, this is not, you know, some headache that got healed, right? This is fantastic miracles. And yet you come to America, you are preaching the same thing. And nothing happens. I mean, do you think that the anointing is geographical? It is not. Do you think, you know, they are anointed in the US, but not anointed in, uh, or anointed in, in Africa or India, and not anointed in the US? No. It, it, is, it, is, it, is, it has to do with the receptivity of the people. How are you receiving this? Are you receiving it as something? Well, I, I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta listen, and then I've got, I've got this appointment at two o'clock. Are, are you listening to it like the word of God? You know, God will only reveal His word to those who are attentive. You see, the attitude with which you approach this thing will determine what is unlocked to you, because this is a spiritual book. You know, the Bible says concerning Moses, that when Moses saw the bush burning and not being consumed, Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And the next verse said that when God saw that he turned aside, God spoke. The Lord will only unlock the word to those who seek after him. The Bible says, you Thessalonians, you received it like the word of God. All of a sudden, the power of God is exploding in your lives. The way we receive the word determines what we get from it. Look at James chapter 1 verse 21. He talks about the attitude with which we should approach the word and receive the word. In James 1 21 he says, put aside all filthiness 
and superfluity of nothingness, and receive with what? Meekness. The engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Everyone say meekness. When the Bible talks about meekness, it's talking about an attitude of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as fair and therefore without struggling. Don't come to the word of God prepared to struggle with him. You won't get anything from it. It will not be unlocked to you. Come with an attitude of humility. Come with an attitude of receptivity. Come with the attitude that, you know, I don't know anything. God, you know everything. You reveal yourself to me and I will obey you. Because if you don't come with an attitude of receptivity, you will read past the word and it wouldn't mean anything to you. I remember going to a wedding. (laughs) And, um, you know, I wasn't conducting the wedding and there was this minister preaching. I know how it is a great time to exalt the married or the young couple. And I was there with a friend of mine. And he opened Ephesians 5. And for the first time in my experience, he actually started reading from verse 21. He said, submit to one another in the fear of God. And then, wives, submit to your... And I, and I made a note to my... I said, wow, this is great. This is the first time I'm actually hearing somebody reading verse 21. And then he read the whole thing. But when he came to explain it, he made the statement. He said, you know what? He said, if I was Margaret Thatcher's husband, when Margaret Thatcher is feeding me, I'll tell her to kneel down and put the food in my mouth. And he said, I will do that so that people will know that Margaret has a husband. Ah! <laughs> now, you know, I know that there are cultural nuances to these things, but, but I, 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 was, I, was just, I was just flabbergasted. Because here is somebody that just read it. That submit to one another in the fear of God. And then wives submit to your husbands. Husband, and then he said, you know, if I was Margaret, she will kneel down to feed me every time. And just because I need to prove to her and everybody that she has a husband. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you don't approach the word with, a, with an attitude to learn from it, you will read it and you would only, and the only thing that will resonate with you will be the things that validate your confusion. Are you with me? It is a spiritual book. You would only validate the things that, that, that you agree with. It will, not, it will not change your view. You just go to the word to confirm what you already believed. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that you and I are transformed as we behold him with an unveiled face. And it says earlier that, you know, the Jews... When they read the Old Testament, they still read it with a veil on their hearts. So they are reading the Old Testament, but they don't want to see what he's actually saying. Because he said that if the veil is removed, they will realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and there is no salvation in any other. But but for as long as they read it with a veil over their hearts, they will not see the truth. In like manner, if you and I read the word with a veil on our hearts, we will not see the word. We'll just read the Bible. We will not see the word. We will not see the word. And one way in which we can remove the veil from our hearts is to come with an attitude of meekness. Come with humility saying, God, it is you I need. I can't do it myself. I don't know the way. Lester Sumrall gave this advice. 
to one of his young protégés. He said, you know, this was a young man who was getting into ministry. He said, let me give you some advice. Listen, Summerall had been in ministry for over 50 years. He said, you want to be successful? The young man said, yes. He said, listen to me. Understand that God is everything and you are nothing. Don't forget it. Don't get it mixed up and you'll do fine. He said, God is everything, but you are nothing. Come to the world with that attitude that in myself, I don't know the way. God, the opinions I have, I am willing to let go of them. Just reveal yourself to me. It is to that heart that God by his spirit will be able to unlock the word and give the life of the word to them. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able, which is able to save your soul. It is what we desire. It is what we seek that we will find. Do you know that? It is what you truly seek that we will find. Jesus said to the Jews, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. But they testify about me. But you don't want me. They were searching the scriptures. They were doing all their stuff. But yet, they didn't see Jesus. Because they didn't want him. What do you seek, really? What do you want? If the Bible is just a book of success, a manual of success to you, you will find success in the word. But the word is more than success. The word is that the Logos is Jesus. It is only when you truly seek Jesus in the word that you will find him. And he is the answer of life, for life. It's nothing else. We must come to the word with that attitude of meekness. An attitude that le- Jesus, it is you we are seeking. It is you we want. Beyond the cars, beyond the wife and children, beyond the satisfaction of life. God, it is you I want. And if that is what you truly desire, that's what you will find. The Bible says God revealed his acts to the children of Israel, but he revealed his ways to Moses. Why? Because the children of Israel just wanted the acts. Just give me the miracle. That's all I want. And if that's what you want, he'll give it to you. But he's more than that. He wants to give you his life. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to experience intimacy with him. But he will only give you what you truly desire. What do you want? Is it the Logos you're after? Or is it his hands you are seeking? Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for the word. We're thankful for the word. We're thankful for what you're teaching us, oh God. And Lord, we come to you this morning. Like that man that said, God, I believe what helped my own belief. We come to you this morning saying, Jesus, help us to seek you properly. Help us to find you, O God. Give us a thirst after you, beyond the things. Help us, help us seek after you, O God. That is our desire. For you are the fountain of life. It is in your light that we see light. You are, you are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. You are the way, the truth, and the life. God, we open our hearts to you. Show us the level of our present deception regarding what we know. Show us how ignorant we are about the truth of who you are, that we may seek you honestly and with integrity. Lord, we thank you. Because your word says that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. We thank you, O God, because you hear our prayers today. If you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus, you know you don't have a relationship with him. You want to go beyond just reading about him to experiencing him. Jesus is here today. 
And he says that if you hear the knock of his, his knock on your heart and open the door, he will come in. You are a spiritual being. He's a spiritual God. He will come into your heart today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here, you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand very quickly. Let me pray for you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful because your word is productive in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you receive something from the word of God, give him a hand clap this morning. Just bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.